Happy New Year and welcome to a new episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, all of us are back for 2019. We decided we'll, we'd keep going with our podcasting. Um, and I'm joined by my cast of Gerald, Anija, and Maggie. Say hello, everybody. Hello. Hi, everyone. Um, so we're going to kick 2019 off with uh, the Green Book. I, I think it's just called Green Book. I don't think there's a B there. Um, which has been nominated for Oscars, and basically we were trying to figure out what we should watch for the first film of 2019, and given that we kind of watched A Star Is Born last year, we thought we'd have a look at Green Book as well, so that we'd probably be a little bit more informed about the Oscar season as it rolls around. Um, And I won't lie, I knew nothing about this film before um, going into the cinema. I had zero expectations. I hadn't watched the Golden Globes. I, I literally didn't know what this film was about. I think I'd seen half an ad on television in passing for this film. So I went in and um, I was so glad I watched this film. And I'm so glad that um, we chose this film to podcast about because um, on paper, it doesn't really seem like the mo- most pop culture of films. And on paper, it also seems like a pretty controversial film to podcast about because um, obviously race plays a pretty major part of this film. But um, I, I actually ended up really happy that I watched it and I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, so before we go into impressions, um, I'll quickly just talk through the premise of the film. It's pretty straightforward, but with a film like this, it's actually more in the character and the themes and the actual plot itself. So just let every... I mean, this is a full spoilers podcast, obviously, but I mean, for this sort of film, it's not really like a superhero film where <laughs> these spoilers really matter as much, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so this film is about... Um, a guy called Tony Vallelonga and his relationship with um, a musician called Dr. Don Shirley. Um, basically, Tony Vallelonga is this guy who lives in New York. He comes from an Italian family. And Tony is a bit of a hustler. He kind of does a whole bunch of odd jobs to kind of keep his family afloat with money. And one day he decides to take this uh, chauffeur job uh, for chauffeuring um, this musician, Don Shirley, into the deep south of America for or for this tour that he's booked. Now, obviously, like this is set in a time period where, um, and this is where the name of the film becomes relevant, where basically um, coloured people cannot stay in any hotel that they want. In certain parts of the south, there are only certain areas they can stay at, only certain areas they can frequent for leisure, they can, you know, have dinner at, etc. And there's this book called The Green Book, which basically lists all of these establishments so that, like, coloured travellers don't sort of get on the nerves of the other white people there, right? So obviously this is, like, nowadays this is obviously a very, <laughs> very um, controversial and um, rightfully outdated concept, right? Um, but anyway, so it, it, it is really, this film is basically about their relationship on this road trip through to the south, and um, it's like this, it feels like a heartwarming road trip um movie, essentially. So, um, I've sp- spoken enough for this first bit, so I'm gonna just going to go around the table and get everyone's impressions, and then we can dig into the meat and potatoes of this film. Um, who wants to go first? 
I'll go first. I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit surprised because it sounds like you really liked it. Yeah. Um. I'll I'll tell you what I knew about the movie going in. All I knew yeah. was the blurb that I read about it, and I yeah. thought it sounded really interesting. And I I thought it sounded funny, and I thought it had good potential. And I'd put it on our watch list even mm. before we talked about seeing it. After we did decide to see it, I could tell Gerald was not enthusiastic, and when I asked him why, he said um that it's been getting a lot of negative sort of um, feedback on the basis that it's very white saviour, um, mm. magical Negro um, combination. And mm. just just having read the blurb, I thought, I just thought, surely not. I, mm. I, I think that's, I think people are probably being too precious about that. And, you know, if two people really do learn from each other, why is there a white saviour? Like, why aren't mm. they just learning about each other and growing? And so mm. went into the movie with, with, with that sentiment. And unfortunately... Um, I really enjoyed the movie as a comedy. I really enjoyed the movie as a, a movie about um, Tony Lip because he's very charismatic and he's funny and he's believable and he's likable. But thematically and, uh, yeah, thematically, morally, all of that, in, in, in that sense, I thought it was really worrying and... I don't think it handled issues well and it made me quite uncomfortable um, and that's kind of a shame, I think. Mm, interesting. Um, but we yeah. can talk, we can talk yeah, yeah. more. Yeah. I did not want to think that and I thought yeah. people were being a bit precious if that was what they were saying, but I very much did feel that when I watched the movie. Gerald? I don't know what um, Gerald thought. Well, well we before, I get into, before I get into that, I think it's – probably incumbent upon someone to just outline the controversies that have beset the movie. And I think they comprised the following, aside from its handling of issues of race. Uh, the first is that the family of Don Shirley, having seen the film, have denounced it as um, putting up on the screen a thoroughly false and unfair portrayal of Don Shirley. They, they just say Shirley wasn't like this, and the relationship between him and Val Longa was, uh, was falsely represented on the screen. So that's one controversy. Uh, the second is that one of the screenwriters of the movie is, is Tony Vallelonga's son, Nick Vallelonga. And Nick Vallelonga, um, in 2015 or 2016, uh, replied approvingly to a tweet in which Donald Trump said falsely, that he had seen on television footage of Muslims in New Jersey celebrating on 9/11. That that's being debunked. That's being, I think, more or less expo- exposed for the for the for the lie that it is. And Valalonga Jr., having given that tweet the thumbs up, has now publicly apologised for it. But it rather suggests that um, his treatment. Of issue, his views concerning matters of race and people of colour um, are something to be looked somewhat askance at. The third controversy, and perhaps the most trivial or the most remote from the film, but nonetheless, given the moment we're in, still impactful, is that Peter Farrelly, the director, has in the past boasted about flashing his dick on set to just about everyone who crossed his path. Peter Farrelly and his brother were, of course, the directors of Dumb and Dumber in a previous life, and so they made a lot of stupid, gross-out comedies, and so you can imagine that um, they probably kept a pretty sort of loose set and all manner of hijinks ensued. But 
in the Me Too moment, it is it hardly endears him to you know fifty at least fifty percent of world audiences that um, he used to wave his dick around people's faces. So those are the three controversies currently besetting the film. Um, now the this film I think has to be seen in the context of a a recent crop of movies that have dealt with questions of race relations in the United States in a really quite sort of um, hard-hitting and sophisticated way. The apex of that trend, I think, is um, Get Out, which came out, I think, early 2017. Um, and that movie was sort of um, lauded for a message, for conveying a message that doesn't obviously, that doesn't often get heard either in the cinema or elsewhere, namely that um, the mock sympathy, well, what might be the mock sympathy of white liberals is actually potentially something quite sinister. White liberals might actually sort of um, collect black acquaintances as ornaments or for instrumental purposes rather than seeing innate value in African-American people. That's one of the, one of the ideas being toyed with in Get Out. And so, Gerald, did you say that this movie joins that? No, I don't, I don't, no, no, I don't say it does. I say, oh, okay. I say actually, it, it, it hails from a sort of older um, tradition of white liberal movies about sort of people encountering, you know, white people encountering black people for the first time, finding some that, that, that recognizing some measure of humanity in them, and, and then sort of experiencing some conversion on the road to Damascus. So, so movies in that in that tradition include. Guess who's coming to dinner? Um, most prominently, in fact, that that might well be the first of these sorts of movies. Now, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the film. I think the performances were great. Viggo Mortensen, um, he, he was fantastic in the role of, of, of Tony Vallelonga. I mean, it's 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 hard to look at this schlubby Italian character with a thick Brooklynese accent and think this guy was Aragon in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He brought a great wow. deal. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. I see it now. Uh, oh my to, god! To the role. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I was thinking he put on a lot of weight for this role. It was like a Christian Bale style Ooh. weight change yeah. situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and really embodied the character of this Brooklynese Italian blue collar hustler, uh, this bouncer at the Copacabana. He did an excellent job in that role. And, of course, a lot of praise has been directed to Mahershala Ali uh, for his portrayal of Don Shirley. There's nothing, so there's nothing inherently wrong with the film. It's, 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 not a, it's a good sit. You sit in the cinema and there are scenes that are quite, that are quite um, moving, scenes that are quite funny. There are moments that are slightly, I think, off-key. I think the, uh, the, the fried chicken scene, which we can come to uh, later on during the hour, is odd and potentially disturbing, to say the least. Um, but what I got as I sat through this, as I sat through this movie in the cinema was a, a sense of missed opportunity because there was potentially a very interesting movie to be made about Don Shirley. Um, there's a moment in which um, there are various moments in the film when Shirley alludes to his past and says he's caught between various worlds. He's he might he might, he's, he, there, there are some who see him as not black enough, and obviously because of his because of his dark skin, he's not fully accepted into white society. So th there's an interesting story to be told about this man who straddles two worlds and belongs to neither. And um, he wants to play Chopin, but he's not, a, but his, his, his record company tells him he can't do that because it won't 
it won't sell for a black man to be playing classical music. So he's got to be playing sort of jazz, which integrates hints of his classical training. At the same time, he's actually a very good blues piano player. We see that in one of the final scenes of the film. So again, you know, the, the, here's a man who straddles various artistic worlds and the movie could have been so interesting had it delved into all those aspects of the life of Don Shirley. But the, the problem, I suppose, is that this is not a movie about Don Shirley. This is a movie about, about, a, about a white man who's redeemed by an encounter with an African-American. We've seen lots of those stories before, and the, the message coming out of them is often quite simplistic. Namely, you know, if only we all got, if only we met each other, we'd all get along a whole lot better. And in, and in this film, it's slightly, they take it a step further because, because Shirley is himself so standoffish. So the idea is being, you know, if, uh, if, if Tony Vallelonga didn't hang, wasn't so, um, ignorant and hostile about African Americans as he was in the film, and if, um, Don Shirley loosened up a bit more, then, you know, kumbaya. Um, but I think the problem is, you know, we're, we're, we're in the Trump era that's just come off the back of the Obama era. If white people were going to see and count black people and see their dignity and recognize their humanity, they would have done so seeing this extremely dignified um, figure occupying the White House for eight years. And instead, they, they veered violently uh, towards uh, Donald Trump, which rather suggests that mere exposure to the humanity of African Americans isn't enough to solve the wound that is race in America. And so I think this movie doesn't do justice to the issues that it, that it attempts to address. So whilst it's quite entertaining, um, I think I think it's sort of bitten off a hell of a lot more than it could chew. Mm, okay. Um, Mags, do you want to shoot next? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Cause I, I also went in without um, any preconceptions about the movie. I'd read very little about it except... Um, seeing it on a list of, you know, Oscar-nominated films. Um, I'd watched Black Klansman on the plane, um, you know, a few weeks before, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so I went in with almost no knowledge about this movie. Um, when I watched it, I was highly entertained. I thought it was a charming, gentle movie about a road trip, essentially, between um, at where these two men who'd never met each other um, who came from very different worlds, um, got to know one another and, I guess, ex- explored each other's common humanity. Um, and that was what I took it for. Um, at the end of the movie, I didn't see it as uh, meant to be a heavy-hitting exploration of racial tensions. Um, it touched on aspects of that, but... I suppose having not read any of that context before I went in and, and at the end of the movie, I didn't take it as being intended to be an exploration of racial tensions at that sort of very serious level. Um, it, it was more about, I suppose, two people getting to know one another. Um, after the movie, I did you know, uh, a search on the internet and I uh, came across lots of articles talking about, um, well, how divided I suppose this movie has um, interestingly um, been amongst critics, some of who were really disappointed, as Gerald said, about it not seizing the opportunity, exploring racial tensions, Don Shirley's family coming out and saying that it's 
not an accurate portrayal of his character of who he was and his relationship with um, Tony um, Lip, uh, and also that um, it's simplistic. Um, I suppose you know when you watch a movie, you you watch it with your own personal lens and take care of what you want. And um, for me, I guess I was satisfied with what I saw, um, and I'm kind of happy not to take into account any of that context. But um, I, that's an interesting general discussion, I think, about whether or not you have to see the movie in its context or whether as a viewer um, you're allowed to, I, I suppose, watch the movie for what you think it needs. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to go into it in the same way that Mags did in, in just seeing it about a story about two people. But I found that impossible to do, given like the racial issue. It, it was it's like if there was a really loud alarm just going off in front of me and I would be expected to ignore it. I, I couldn't do it. And if they had told this story using a different type of odd couple, you know, just another another white man who's eccentric, and they told the same story. It would have been a different movie, but they chose to make. I, I, I think it's. Un, I just don't think you can avoid the fact that they chose to make it about race. They did do that, and having done so, they just dealt with it so poorly. And and for me, I do think there's lots of things in this movie that did make it a bad movie. That that were like things you could point point to and go, what? Like that that that's that's no good. Um. So, but we can talk about those later. But I, I just think I, I wanted to see it the way that Mag saw it, but it was literally like I had an alarm going in front of my face and I couldn't ignore it. And I remember thinking, if only they had made this about two people where <laughs> the race didn't come into it because it was just another white person that was different or, you know, not accepted for some other reason, then it would have been a different, fun, enjoyable, quirky movie about an odd couple. Hmm. So I find this really interesting, right? Because um, I'll be honest, I I didn't think our views on this would be so divergent, um, to be honest. But Mm. I I really enjoyed this film and I did not watch it. Look, I'm I'm obviously aware that in the States right now, there is a culture war going on, right? And um, I know that obviously race is a highly sensitive issue, but I tried to, I tried to watch this. I guess, like, the way I look at this film is that I try to assess it on its merits, kind of, on it on its merits as a film, right? So, like, I felt like this was a... Obviously, race was an issue because of the setting and the characters, but I, I didn't feel like they were... They tried to be particularly heavy-handed with it, and I felt like they were... He tried to bring a soft touch to it in the sense that it wasn't, like sort of in-your-face didactic or, like... There have been a lot of race films recently that have been, like, more divisive than um, collaborative, I guess, right? And I feel like this film basically tried to be soft a little bit, and um, ultimately, I thought thematically, this, this film was actually about how identity is not necessarily defined by your race, but by who you are as an individual, right? That... Um, that it, like, so often we kind of look at one's race and we ascribe all these traits to that individual, but ultimately each individual wants to be viewed as an, indi- as an individual, right, with their own unique traits, and 
um, there is obviously this struggle that like there are stereotypes that are bound, etc. Right, but you know that when we see people as individuals and we like we sort of take that race element a little bit out of it, um, like it's I, I think there is a strong theme in this film that is about that sort of individual identity, right? Um, and I, I actually I, I quite in, I enjoyed that. I thought that was um, pretty consistent throughout the throughout the entirety of this film. I, I thought that this was actually a really charming film as well. Like, um, so maybe, like, Mags and I are probably not attu- as attuned to some of these contextual issues as you guys are, but um, I, I definitely, like, maybe not being so attuned to these contextual issues meant that we, well, I definitely came out of the film feeling like this was a charming, feel-good film. Um, yeah, like, it felt like a film made from a different era, almost, right? I I commented that it felt like an Oscars film from, like, 10, 15 years ago, right? Rather than an Oscar film, like, a film from, like, 2019, essentially. So, yeah, overall, I I actually really enjoy this film, and I I felt that I, I came out of it with kind of a smile on my face. But I'm actually really interested in understanding um, kind of like why you felt this film was so broken, Anija. Yeah. Mm. So I should also say that I don't have anything, I don't really have the contextual background that Mm. Gerald has. I don't even have as much awareness as as Mm. Mags does because I Mm. haven't read anything about it. And Mm. I guess I deliberately try to keep myself ignorant from lots of issues because I find Mm. them so painful. So I I don't have that background and that's Mm. why I thought I could see this movie in a different way. So some of the things that stood out to me, um, I really disliked the way they portrayed Don Shirley as this, they did portray him as almost the magical figure in that he, you know, sits on a throne. He has all these, you know, unique kind of ornaments around his Mm. home. He's very eccentric. If that was true to who he was, then I guess what can you do? But it's actually really even more disturbing to hear that, that it wasn't a very great representation of who he was and i think by portraying him that way they made it really difficult for us to relate to him and to feel his emotions and to connect with him in the way we all had no problems connecting with tony lip um because he was so much more human um again that was something that made this story more about tony than it was about don um shirley and why should it be when if anything it should be about the couple and the second half of this couple is an incredibly great individual so you know Mm. why should they make it so difficult for us to connect with him so that's that's one thing um the other thing gerald you you made the point that you know some of the really great movies about race you know you were talking about one of them where the movie makes the point that you know enlightened white people sometimes collect black friends as as some kind of trophy <laughs> this movie, I just don't understand the point that this movie was trying to make because it was not about enlightened white people. You know, it was about a time in the South, nobody was really enlightened. They were just really rich and they could afford to have, you know, to taste, you know, to taste music that was exotic. Um, there's no 
pretense that they are really enlightened or that they really accepted um, black people into their social circle. And that's clear because he's not even allowed to use the bathroom. He's not allowed to eat in the in the same restaurant that, um, you know, the rest of them were able to to eat at. So I don't understand, like, what race, like what issues are really being explored here. We know that the South was really racist and showing us, you know, what appears to be this light-level racism – but not really because he's getting beaten up, he's getting falsely arrested, he's getting humiliated. Why are you showing us that? Like what point are you making that we don't know about that time in the South? Um, so that, I, I, I found that baffling. Um, I think that um, it was, it bothered me that this movie made a point about Don Shirley's alcoholism. Like it makes a very very clear point about that. You see him drinking, you know, a bottle of hard liquor. He gets himself into trouble because he's drunk. You see the, like, you know, you see um, Tony Lip, like, looking at him for this and almost pitying, pitying him or seeing or, or, like, feeling sympathy for him. Well, why don't we look at the fact that Tony Lip has some kind of massive personality disorder that leads him to, like, ending up in these incredibly violent situations, you know, supposedly for gain, but are extremely risky to his life when he has a family and two children. But we don't look at that as though it's some kind of, you know, fault or weakness. Um, so, so that was odd. I just, I just found it odd. Um, so can yeah, I respond to those? Odd. Yeah. Can I respond to those first three points? Because yeah. I think like for me, all of those points worked because I felt they all talked to the central point of this film, right? So I look, and this is just my reading of the film, right? And um, my reading of the film is, as I said, that it's about identity, right? And basically how we often judge people initially on very superficial things, right? We learn one or two things about the people and we kind of make judgments on these people, right? And, um, and then, but, but I think what this film is actually about is that those initial judgments are not actually sufficient, right? An individual is all these sort of other components that fit in, right? Some that are necessarily good, some that are like a little bit grey and dicey, and some that are, could be construed as bad, right? And all of these things kind of come in to make that individual. But you don't really get a full appreciation and a love of that individual unless you have that sort of full picture, right? So I think, like, for me, that initial scene with Don Shirley works because it is basically what that initial scene does is that it puts this almost coming to America style of um, black person in front of you, right? Like he's dressed in those robes and he's got a throne and stuff. And immediately you kind of make a judgment on this guy, right? What a weird guy, right? Like this is like some sort of weird African prince or whatever it is, right? But really that is not this guy's character at all, right? And I mean, the race thing comes into it because the central... I guess, drama in Don Shirley's life is that really Don Shirley himself sees himself as this very cultured, very um, educated, and like very cultured, very educated, um, almost like a literati type, right? Like um, he's very sort of genteel, he's very um, discreet, and he he's like, he has like this sort of view of himself, which is kind of built around that. But 
his blackness doesn't necessarily come into it in his own view of himself. It's more that society forces him to have to sort of have to deal with this idea of his blackness, right? So in some ways, like this is the identity game at play, right? Because from the outside in the South, everyone sees this guy as just as like a talented black guy, right? But he himself, like the black aspect of his identity is not necessarily a super ingrained part of his identity and it's in fact it's a part of his identity that he struggles with because he because he didn't grow up in with that sort of sort of like you know i guess he grew up in like a sort of slightly different background he finds it hard to integrate that into his personal identity and that film is kind of about that struggle and how basically i think we shouldn't be sort of imposing that on on him right and um so yeah, like in in my mind, that initial scene kind of what that initial scene does is that it kind of sets up that judgment for the audience. But then the rest of the film kind of breaks down the, that judgment and kind of says, you know, that initial judgment of that character is not actually fair, right? There's all these other aspects that come into it, and I think it does the yeah. same. Yeah, go on. And I think I, I think it does the same with Tony Vallelonga as well because I feel like the first scene with Tony Vallelonga when he he basically steals the mobster's hat to um and then gives it back to him for the tip but then he also gains himself a favor which subsequently saves his ass later right like you kind of see this guy as kind of a bit of a duplicitous hustler right but then over time you kind of understand that hustling in a in sort of in greater depth, right? You kind of understand why he does it, right? Part of it is that, like, his life is that he lives hand to mouth. So he's always looking kind of, he He has to kind of hustle and live on that gray area because, like, he has to. And the other bit of it is that he simply just enjoys the thrill of the game as well, right? And, I mean, that's just, that's kind of just who he is. And you kind of have to, you kind of have to accept that, right? Like, but, like, I, I think the initial judgment that you make on that character, which is, ah, oh, this guy is an asshole, right? Like, yeah, I feel like that kind of comes apart when you kind of understand the motivations for why he hustles in in that way, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I guess in my mind, in that way, this this film is consistent, right? Um, so, yeah, Anja, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with what you said, but I think the problem with it is that absolutely the movie does what you say it does for Tony's character. You absolutely see that he's much more than just the hustler that he's portrayed to be and that he's complex and he's caring and he's loving and he's deep and he's smart and he's, you know, the, <laughs> you see that for him. I don't really think you get much more than lip service for, for Don Shirley's character, A, because they make him so difficult to relate to, they, they do kind of comment on all of the things that you've said, but because he's not the main character in this movie and Tony Lip is very much the main character, we get much more time with Tony Lip. We see him on screen more and they're able to develop those issues to the to a point where you can really feel it with Tony and I couldn't feel it with Don Shirley and that annoyed me. And to your point that, you know, the issue of, um, you know, the issue that is spelt out for you that, um that Don Shirley doesn't really feel like he belongs to the black community, even though that's what's imposed on him, and we shouldn't impose it on him if that's not his identity. 
the end of the movie baffles me and makes no sense to me because it seems to contradict that point. And by the end, I mean that scene where he plays Chopin. As soon as he walked to that piano, I knew he was going to play Chopin. And he did. And he did it beautifully. And I wasn't sure how the pub was going to react. And to my pleasure, they reacted. They gave him a really positive reaction. And then he goes straight on to play jazz um, with the big smile on his face as though he is now accepting that other identity. It baffled me. It confused me. I didn't like it. It made me uncomfortable. It made me unhappy. Um, I, I think it speaks to the fact that this movie just cannot deal with themes well. It's a good comedy and it can't deal with themes. And the very last thing that made me uncomfortable about this movie that I didn't like is that you constantly see Don Shirley getting himself drunk and getting himself into crappy situations. And then you see Tony come up to him and tell him off for, you know, what he's doing. And then you see Don accepting the criticism really chastely and kind of submissively, very much a white saviour thing going on there. Um, didn't like it at but all. Does it, does can, I, can I just say, there is, there's also... There's also Do you think it's, there's a contrast, though, with um, Don Shirley also um, trying to culture, I suppose, Tony Lip, you know, during the a lot of yeah. the diet? Ah, like, they try, to, they try to balance that, I suppose, with... Don Shirley trying to culture Tony Lip to to civilize him almost. Do you think that that was meant to be that sort of yin and yang, I suppose? And perhaps Except that it looked so bad when Don Shirley kept trying to. Do you know what I mean? It didn't come off well. Like it really it looked, didn't it present popped. well. It looked worse. I, I wonder if it's also though. I mean, just to the point about who wrote the movie, um, and and this is I, like when I realized that who the writer was after, you know, I watched the movie and then read all the articles, who the writers were and the fact that they actually didn't consult Don Shirley's family, then I suppose that kind of reveals then why it seems so, um, it, Tony's character seems so fulsome um, because it's written by his son and so obviously his son knows his father and um, had listened to, apparently listened to him tell the story many times. Mm. Um, and the fact that they didn't actually go and solicit the Shirley family's um, view of their of Don Shirley, which is so odd that they would make that choice. Can I just say that that's yeah. really the that's really the, the, the central problem with the movie, in my view, that the movie the movie is ultimately deeply uninterested in Don Shirley. Um, yeah. So yeah. We, we we have a man here who 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 consoles himself every night with a bottle of Cutty Sark. You know, hard whiskey. Um, so he's obviously in a world of pain. We know he, that he feels a, prof- a profound sense of isolation from what is meant to be his community. He doesn't know. He doesn't know the music of Little Richard. He doesn't know the music of Aretha Franklin. He doesn't like fried chicken. I mean, he, he, this is a man who is isolated from um, those things which are which are the superficial trappings of, commun- of his community. Now, on one level. Um, he, he seems to be trying to escape stereotypes because, and because there is nothing more. There, there are a few stereotypes more pernicious than the stereotype of the of the the, the of the lazy African American in the South picking cotton in, in daylight hours and then and then um, settling down for a, a dinner of fried chicken when the sun goes down. He's trying to so on one level he's trying to escape that and he's trying to. Um, he is trying by entry into um, a more transcendent and more culturally, uh, you know, sort of attuned um, experience. 
So he wants to play Chopin, but he's not allowed to. So he, he he's a man, he is he's been he, he feels a sense of isolation and remoteness from from um, the African American community, but is not allowed into white society. And this is a man who's in profound who's in profound pain. I mean, it's not it's not a trivial thing that um, he that he's that he um, consoles himself with a bottle of Karisak every single night. And then you you add, you add on top of that. Um, the fact that he's he's gay. Now we don't actually know in real life whether Don Shirley was gay. The there've always the, there have been rumours, but n- nothing's ever been confirmed. Um, but let it be assumed that the, the film, the thesis of the film, is correct and he was gay. You've got another you've got another layer of isolation, another and something else that that removes him from the rest of society that might might cause him to feel a sense of isolation if not shame. Um, and the movie is completely uninterested in his pain. Like, his pain really does not feature in the movie. It's alluded to, and it's paid lip service to from time lip to time service. in various exchanges between between Tony Vallelonga and Don Shirley. But the movie's really just not interested in it. It's much more interested in the journey of Tony Vallelonga from... Um, ignorant racist meathead to less ignorant, less racist meathead, and that's that. That's and that's what that that's that's why the movie feels so off in this particular moment because it, 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 its frame of reference is it, its intentions are good, but its frame of reference is so one-eyed, and it is so uninterested in the experience of this black man that. No matter how good the intentions, it rather, I think, compounds the problem of this gaping divide between the white world and the black world. Because here we are, here we've got a fundamentally white story about interacting with or colliding with a black individual where the black individual is really not a point of interest. His internal life is not a point of interest. And, you know, Mahershala Ali does his absolute best with the material that he's been given in his movie. But ultimately, I think his performance is hemmed in by the parameters set for him by the script, a mm. script that ultimately does not want to explore the inner life of Don Shirley at all. Yeah, so I find that really interesting because I, 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 I guess I personally felt like, I don't know. So I'm just trying to understand when, when you say, like, uh, the script should have explored his character more. Um, like, I guess if if I think about like just pure screen time and like time dealing, like I, I guess from my perspective, I, I felt like this this set the central point of this film was actually about him and how yeah, he he found it so hard to reconcile different aspects of his identity. And wow. did you feel like he was the main character of this movie? Well, I don't. In my mind. Like, oh, sorry, I just jumped in there. Darren, you go first. Either of you. Because I would be... No, I don't don't, know. He he absolutely wasn't. And really, you know, sort of... The the move... Like, think of it this way. Don Shirley does not have a relationship with anyone in this movie other than Tony Vallelonga, really. Whereas Tony has relationships with his wife, 
with his children, with his extended family, with the mobsters who offer him a job. You see him interacting in this multifaceted way with a broad, with a broad range of people. And you just, you don't see that with Don Shirley. He's cut off from his brother. He's, he, he, he makes reference to the fact that his mother dragged him around playing piano uh, in the Florida panhandle. But he himself is so, isolated you don't you see so little of the way he interacts with others the only hint of it is when he's when he's when he's when he's when he's arrested in the ymca for for consorting with um with with another man so you know the movie is interested in tony valalonga's relationships beyond don shirley it's not interested in don shirley's relationships beyond tony valalonga but but isn't that the point i mean like if we put it put aside the historic the historicity of the character right like wasn't that the point of this character he was this guy who was so caught up in his career that he hadn't really built up any meaningful relationships with people right and so the point of this film was that you have someone who is very um educated and um genteel and he teaches one aspect of the world to this guy that is pretty rough around the edges. And on the other hand, you have this guy who has lots of relationships, but is very, like, sort of morally grey, essentially, right? And he teaches this other side that, you know, like, it's not necessarily, like, the world is not necessarily made up of blacks and blacks and white, oh, sorry, black and white, right? Not in a racial sense but like in terms of like it's the world is full of sort of gray gradations essentially right and that you know sometimes we have to exist in in that world of gray to kind of like get to the outcome that we kind of want right so it's kind of like i yeah i i guess i'm just trying to understand like i guess i understand what you're saying that they don't explore necessarily his relationships with other people but I, i kind of felt like that was kind of the point of his journey that his journey was that up to like at that point in his life he felt like he was almost self-sufficient and then going through this journey like they have that chat about his brother and how he should he should reconnect reconnect with his brother and the reason why he doesn't reconnect with his brother is because he sees what the world in black black and white right he kind of feels like there was this injustice that was done in the past with his brother that was not mended and that his brother should be the one who should call him but then kind of this experience with Tony Vallelonga basically might, kind of makes him realize that, well, you know, yes, in a strictly black and white moral sense, his brother may have, maybe, may need to call him. But then, like, in terms of, like, the reality of the world that we live in, right? Like, if you want to not be lonely, you have to reach out to people and make those relationships, right? So, like, in, like... I, I guess, like, in that sense, like, it made sense to me that it wasn't like he had heaps of friends or, like, sort of different relationships that we, you were seeing as you went through the journey. Um, yeah, anyway, Mags, like, what were your views on that? Uh, I, I was going to say something very similar, but you were a lot more eloquent. Um, suppose it's more, like, I when I was watching the movie and, like, for me it was very much, I, I just, I guess, going to... Um, the essential humanity of each of those individuals and, um, you know, the way that they painted Tony, particularly at the beginning of the movie, was very much that kind of Italian mobster stereotype from the Bronx, you know, um, really rough and ready, um, not particularly worldly but very street smart. Um, And then you have, 
you know, another almost stereotype, I suppose, but, you know, but for the, the fact that he was African-American, a very genteel, sophisticated, educated musician um, who, you know, lives in the Upper East or in Carnegie Hall and um, consorts with the rich and famous and incredibly wealthy coming together. Um, and the journey was sort of stripping all of that back to the basics of, of what, you know, these two human beings are. Um, but that's kind of what I, I suppose, took for it, from it. I mean, in terms of who was the main character or not, I suppose according to the Oscars, the Academy, it was Tony because um, Viggo Mortensen's been nominated for the Best Actor and Mahersha, sorry, I can't say his, his name. Um, Mahershala. Mahershala. Mahershala has been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Um, so then I suppose from that perspective, um, Tony is the main character. So you guys didn't uh, just feel that from watching the movie, that there was a clear main character and a clear supporting role? No, I, I did not. I, I personally, oh, wow. honestly, I did not, yeah. Because I, I felt, because I, I genuinely felt that the central story about him struggling with, uh, sorry, Don Shirley struggling with his identity and basically putting himself through hell like because he was struggling with that identity made sense and i it made sense for me because of that the way his character worked right he thinks of the world in blacks black and white and therefore you go in this bucket or you're in this other bucket right and he is clearly not in a bucket and i felt like for me that worked for his character because it was this guy basically like who doesn't like dealing with grays kind of realizing that actually his life has shades of gray in it as well um, and that's when, like, so there are some scenes in this that I really, and, like, when you say, was he the main character or not, I, I felt like both of them were very important characters, but for example, right at the end, right, Don Shirley is the one who kind of, he sees the sort of, the, you know, he knows that he's taken the Jade Stone, right, but the Jade Stone kind of represents that sort of riding the line, right, like, sort of existing in the world of grey, rather than sort of, there being a distinct right or wrong or black and white solution to things. So the Jade Stone annoys me too. Yeah. <laughs> one, last, one last point about the Jade Stone and this movie. Um, so this movie is about a loving, kind man on the one hand and an angry and aloof man <laughs> on the other hand. And one of these people, their, their personality, the, the core of who they are, is fundamentally changed by the other. So Don's personality is fundamentally changed by his relationship with Tony, and he becomes less cold, less aloof, more willing to understand that you've got to give a little bit, you've got to, like, relationships are important. Tony's character is not fundamentally changed by his relationship with Don. The only thing that changes about Tony is that he becomes a little bit less racist. He he was always portrayed as this kind, loving, strong, thoughtful, intelligent, you know, not academically in the way Don is, but very much intelligent man. And he is not fundamentally changed by this relationship. And that's why, you know, I think, again, going back to that white saviour point, you know, I hoped it wasn't going to be about that, and I hoped it was going to be about two people who learned from each other, and I didn't quite get that. 
So that's and the Jade Stone is, is sorry, the, the Jade Stone. He doesn't even learn not to be a freaking thief. He he doesn't even learn that there is a reason for laws. There's a reason why you don't just trample over things to get what you want because it feels good in the moment. He 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 doesn't even learn to shift that part of his character. It's just made a joke of as though it's a strength. Well, okay, so so here's 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 my reading of that, right? Because I felt like his character did change because, like, basically. Like at the beginning of the film, you kind of have this sense that he will do whatever it is to make a buck, right? That's kind of his character, mm-hmm. right? He'll do whatever it does to make a buck. But ultimately, at the, at the, at the sort of in the middle, at, in the middle, when he decides not to take that other job because no, he's no, no, already no, no, committed, no, no, no. N- not the okay. other job, the right at the end, right? Because he's the one who makes the choice not to do the show. Right, because the whole point is that doing the show at the end is actually fully about principle, right? So in my mind, it's kind of like he he becomes a much more principled person as a result of his relationship with Don Shirley, because the sense is basically at the beginning of this movie, he would not care. His point is that he's going to get him to these shows, he's going to play out these shows, and he's going to get paid, and he's going to go home, done. The end, right? He's a hustler, he'll talk his way, he'll do whatever it takes, basically, to get this man to these shows and play, uh, to play these shows. But at the climax of the film, I feel like the point of it, um, and maybe it wasn't, that point wasn't made clearly, or wasn't a strong enough point, but I thought the point of it was that John Shirley basically turned around to him and said, you know what, this is a principal call. Like, I don't think I should play this show, but you're the one who's going to get affected by this. What do you think? Right? And Tony, instead of landing on the sort of hustling, like, money-grubbing individual side, lands on Don Shirley's side. And he basically says, you know what, this is, you're right, this is actually wrong. Right, and even though I would get paid if I did this, I, I can't stand by it. Right, because the other guy basically pulls what Tony did on him. Like he offers to pay him money, and then all of a sudden, sudden, like I guess Tony, instead of being just a straight-up hustler, actually takes offense at this. And like my sense is that it's Don Shirley's character kind of rubbing off on him. Right, like so. He... I think uh, I find that scene yeah. problematic for for mm. a number for for this reason, namely. Why is it Tony's call to make? Yeah, Why is it that he's got he's got the agency, but Don Shirley doesn't? Why Don is it that Shirley he always plays submissive he's, to him? He's, he always plays submissive hero, to he's him. The, he's the hero of this story, making the call not to play this particular gig. He's just the friggin' driver. He's a nobody. But, but Darren, in the grand scheme of things, and and so the thing is, you know, this is the the, the movie becomes. I mean, that is that is the most white savior moment in the entire movie. But Darren, really also, a- like, uh, the movie actually tells us that Don, that, sorry, that Tony is principled in that way from the very beginning. I just want to remind you that the very beginning of the movie, he's offered a very great paying job by those gangsters, but he would have to murder people for that money. And he chooses this other job that he doesn't like so much because he doesn't really want to do that. He doesn't want to murder people. And again, halfway through the movie, when he's offered another job that he could make more money of, he won't leave this one because he is principled. So I don't think it is um, a character development thing. I think I think he has. I think from the beginning he is shown as kind, loving, principled, a good person. And I, I don't think that he learns from um, from from um, 
from Don. And I totally agree with what Gerald said that, you know, Don gives his agency to Tony. And throughout this movie, Don plays a very submissive role to Tony. Every time he gets in trouble, he, he takes on a very submissive demeanor and it's odd. It's really odd. Yeah. See, like, yeah, it's, it's, it is really interesting that we, we read that in such different ways because I guess, like, in some ways, I, I can understand, like, so there are various situations throughout the film where Don kind of gets in, uh, sorry, yeah, Don Don gets into trouble and kind of Tony takes the lead. But I, I kind of feel like they, it kind of makes sense organically in those scenes because Tony is hired for his street smarts specifically to get him out of those situations a little bit, right? But does he have to be so submissive and apologetic? I don't think he is apologetic. This is the thing. That's what I find really interesting because... In my mind, the way that they portrayed Tony was as an Italian street thug, and that's a stereotype. He was hired because he would he was a muscle, and Don Shirley's not the type of character who, you know, punches people's lights out and um, carries guns and that kind of thing, and he was hired specifically to beat people up if he was met those types of situations. So um, he fulfilled that function, I suppose, if that was the point of um, the reason why he was chosen. Whereas I, I actually didn't see Don Shirley as being submissive at all. In fact, he talks about it in terms of dignity and in a way he, he, He'd apologise. So basically, Tony would say to him, I told you not to go out on your own. And he'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why doesn't he just say, well, you know what? This is outrageous that I can't go out on my own. It infuriates me. It pains me. And that's why I keep doing it. That's why I keep putting myself in this position because it is so fundamentally degrading that I can't go out on my own, that I can't accept that. You know, he doesn't say that. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, he, I do he, think he does, does though, doesn't he? He apologised only once. And that was and when... The... Sorry, Gerald. Oh, no, sorry. No, you, you continue. You, you finish your point, Maggie. Okay, all, all I was going to say was the only time I remember his character, so so it's always like words and actions, right? So Don Shirley persists in going out by himself and acting in a dignified way, which is, you know, I'm just going to, if I want to have a drink, I'm going to go to the pub, or not the pub, the bar or, you know, whatever. And he continues to do that. Um, and then the only time he apologises is when he goes to the YMCA and he's caught because he's, you know, um, the police officers catching with the other man in the YMCA, and that's the only time where I think he apologised. I don't think there was any other time where he did apologise. Because he persists in going back to that restaurant as well, right? Like, he basically... It's not like he he stops doing that. Like, I mean, he goes to that... There's, like, three major scenes, I guess, right? Like, there's the scene at the bar to start with, and then afterwards he basically has an argument with... Tony about it, and then there's a scene at the end where he basically persists in going to the restaurant. So I don't necessarily feel like he's apologetic about it. Like, I, like my my recollection of the film is the same as Mags in that the only scene where he apologizes is at is that kind of YW, y, YMCA scene. Yeah, look, that, that's probably right. But the fun, one of the funny things about the movie is that the only time when when Don shows any sort of power or any ability to stand up for himself. He actually has to call upon the. He actually has to rely upon an even more powerful white person. Like he's constantly relying upon white people. He's relying upon Tony, and when he's in jail, he's relying upon Bobby Kennedy. And he, he doesn't like he doesn't like being relying on Bobby Kennedy, but not because not because he's dependent upon not because he's a black man dependent on a white man. That's not what bugs me about being dependent on Bobby Kennedy. 
he is annoyed in this movie about being about being dependent on Bobby Kennedy because he feels his issue is so trivial and it's a waste of Bobby Kennedy's time. And so you know, you've got the you've got here the, the makings of this very sort of this this dignified character whose dignity is constantly undercutting this movie because he, he's he's he can't he can't stand up on his own two feet in, in the world of this movie. He's dependent upon Tony, dependent upon Bobby Kennedy, and and when he, when he's frustrated about being dependent upon another white man, it's not because he is a black man who can't be allowed to stand on his own two feet. It's because he thinks. He is so unimportant that it would be a complete waste of this very powerful white man's time. So I find I find that aspect of the structure of the story really and profoundly disturbing and uncomfortable. Um, and it and 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 I I agree with you, Daz, when you say that this is a movie that feels like an Oscar contender from 10, 15 years ago. But that's that's because it's dated. It's so that's dated. That's because 10, 15 years ago, white savior stories. Were, were the sort of stories through which Hollywood explored the question of race. That was the perspective uh, adopted in Hollywood cinema, in, in Hollywood filmmaking for the purpose of, of of dealing with this issue. And so that's why that's why I, I too feel that the movie is quite entertaining and charming. But at the same time, there's something sort of quite hollow at the at the center of it, at the core of it, because it just that part of it, that part of it which is so um, depend upon white savior tropes feels so very, very, very stale. Mm. Well, okay, that's it's. I mean, it's very interesting. I actually. think it's yeah. great we had such different opinions. I, I agree. That's awesome. I, I, yeah, I think it's really interesting that we've seen this film in through like so many different lenses, right? I, I, but I think it's actually a good thing, right? I think it's a good thing, and I think like <laughs> I, I mean, I think we just about the um, the. Um, divided views on the internet within our hour, so that was interesting. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So look, let's let's sort of switch switch lanes a little bit, right? So I think the Oscar nominees right now are for best film. And look, I think around the table we all kind of agree that the Oscars are a little bit. Like, of a joke. Like, yeah, a little bit of a joke. <laughs> yep. So, but at the same time, <laughs> it is it is the Oscars, right? So, mm-hmm. and it's always interesting to speculate on on stuff like this. So, right now for Best Picture, there's Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. So, around oh. the table, what what have we seen? We've seen Black Panther. I've seen Black yes. Panther. Yeah. Um, Mags has seen Black Klansman. Have you guys seen Black Klansman? No. no. I, I have not. I have not. Um, I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody. I haven't seen The Favourite. We saw Green Book. I don't even know what Roma is. The Favourite. We've seen The Favourite. We've seen The Favourite. The Favourite is very good. It's what very funny. Fa- it what's The Favourite? The Favourite is this movie about um, about two women, played by Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone, competing with each other for the favour and attention and affections of Queen Anne, played by Olivia Colman. And it's part sort of satire of 17th century England. Yes. It is, it is, it is period, but, but there are sort of anachronistic touches all through it. So it's period, but not quite, or it's yeah. period with some, with some sort of, with, a, with very much a 21st century sensibility. So it's not, yeah. 
it's not it's not a stuffy BBC drama. Yeah. Um, so it's quite good. Um, Roma is Alfonso Cuarón's latest movie. I think uh, in the US it's been distributed both in cinemas and via Netflix. I think it's only available in Australia via Netflix, although it, it might be playing at certain independent cinemas like the Randwick Ritz. I think. But having said that, I think its run is over anyway. So it is. It can be caught on on Netflix. It's this, it's basically Alfonso Cuarón's. Love letter to um, the Mexican maid who brought him up in Mexico City. She being a, a, a native Mexican who um, grew, who, who lives in, you know, sort of in trying circumstances to say the least. I don't think we've seen it. I, we, we, we haven't seen it yet, but um, there are, there are many who are hailing this um, as a masterpiece. Okay. Um, <laughs> and and then there's and then there's Vice, which is Adam McKay's. You've seen oh, Adam Vice, McKay's. right? I have seen, seen Vice, and and it's not it, it has it has actually brought out even stronger reactions than Green Book. There are, there are critics who who are saying that Vice is not just not a great film. A lot of them are saying, or or a healthy contingent of them are saying, it is the worst movie of 2018. Oh, I wow. know which movie will win. I know which movie. Okay, so let's let's put money. Well, not let's not put money on it. Let let's let's. Okay, okay. Let's who of the films that we've seen, like let's go around the table and who. What do we think is 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 the best of the films that we've seen? So, Anna Jo, who who do you who do you think's going to win? The the 2019 Oscar for Best Picture goes to Black Panther. It will go to Black Panther. It will go to Black Panther because I know the Oscars. Because I know the Oscars, and I actually think that out of these movies, because the because because all of them are so crappy that yeah, why not Black Panther? Oh wow, okay. Uh, it will go to Black Panther because the Oscars are political and they're left wing, and I think yeah. it will absolutely go to Black Panther. Okay, Jerry, what do you think? Look, in terms of the, which of those movies is the best, it's not a great group of movies. Yeah. Um, uh, the best from from my the most Might the one the that favorite. I've had that. The, the one that I had the most fun with was definitely the favourite. I think ultimately it'll be a race between um, A Star is Born and um, Roma. Okay. Mags? Mm, um, I think it will be A Star is Born um, because... Most people, most critics seem to have loved it and hasn't had as much of a divisive reaction to it. So you and think it's the Oscars will go safe? I reckon so. they'll go safe, yes. Mm, interesting. And also, well, I mean, but, you know, at, at the same time, the movies who are, the movies that receive the most nominations don't necessarily win Best Picture. Mm, mm. So, yeah. Okay. Um Look, I've only seen... Look, I actually really enjoyed Green Book, and I would say, of the films that I've seen on the seen on the list, I, I probably enjoyed it the best. I don't. But I don't think it's going to win the Oscar. I don't think it's going to win the Oscar, right? What do you I think, think of this list? 
Of, of those you've seen on this list, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. That, is, that, that is such... Can I just say, that is such an indictment of cinema in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> but... Well, it's not a great list, I think Jerry is probably right. I think it will go to some... I, I think it will probably go to something non-committal. The problem with Black Panther, it's got, it's got two... It's like a superhero film as well, right? Like, it's got to yeah. break one too many barriers, right? The superhero <laughs> film thing, I don't think they could ever break that barrier. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with that as well is Black Panther is a superhero film, and I don't think it's a great film. I think there are interesting things about it. I think for for about half the movie, Killmonger is an interesting character, and then he just becomes a stock um, yeah. Marvel villain. And I think the last yeah. half half hour to forty five minutes, which is just a big battle of Wakanda, was pretty average. The um, favorite is so the I better film. Yeah, it is. A, it is a vastly superior film. <laughs> But, but this list is not fantastic. No, so why not Black Panther? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Aaron, if it won, Disney's share price would hit the roof. I know, I know. <laughs> but the thing is, there's a part of me that is like, the best superhero film of last year was either the Spider-Man... Well, okay, Danage's going to flip, right? Because I enjoyed the Spider-Man Avengers. film. <laughs> yes, no, Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, I agree. I think Avengers Infinity War was the best superhero film of last year, right? And so it kind of, on some level, it feels wrong that Black Panther would win because there was a better superhero film last year, right? So even in its own genre, I don't think it... But anyway, like... <laughs> <laughs> um, See, that's the thing. The fact that it's been nominated tells you what they're thinking. Yes, so, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. I, I think it's... Anyway, I, I hate it when this sort of thing becomes, like, ultra-political, because... Anyway, but mm. as we all know, the Oscars is not really about the best film of the year. It's it's like a popularity contest and a political thing as well, so... Yes. Anyway, <laughs> on that note, if the Oscars are listening, please invite us. We'd love to go. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think they're going to invite the podcast with, like, ten listeners. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um... Okay, guys, thank you so much for talking about Green Book. It was a very interesting and enlightening conversation for me, definitely, because um, I was not aware of um, this huge sort of controversy and all these views around it, but it was a really welcome conversation, um, nevertheless. So thank you so much for um, having a chat tonight. Thank you. See ya. Bye. See See you next week, everybody. Bye.